I'm Lance Key, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and professional brand voice? Here's the secret. We all want to feel connected to brands we buy from. What better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your story on a podcast? Kitcaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. If you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with Kitcaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. Kitcaster is your secret weapon in podcasting for business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. Go to kitcaster.com slash TLLK12 or go to my webpage at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors. Click on the Kitcaster logo and apply for a special offer just for the friends of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, find the NVTA logo, and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Sarah and Larry Nannery, the authors of What to Say Next, Successful Communication in Work, Life, and Love with Autism Spectrum Disorder. An amazing book with communication advice for everyone. And everyone is who should read this book. It is such an incredible talk. You're going to love it. Thanks for listening. And by the way, make sure before you go, it would be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? That would be so cool. And also you can support the podcast another way at buymeacoffee.com slash stephenmaletto. You can go in there and uh, make a donation to the podcast. That would be so cool. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well... Use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. 
Sarah Nannery is the Director of Development for Autism Initiatives at Drexel University. She holds a master's degree in conflict transformation and was recently diagnosed with autism. Larry Nannery is a technology consultant with experience in organizational change and life coaching and has a lifelong love of helping others to communicate effectively. Sarah and Larry, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, thank you. Hello and hello. Well, I'm glad you're here with us, and uh, I got to tell you, I can't say enough about your book. Your book's awesome, and, you know, we're talking about your book, which is called What to Say Next, Successful Communication in Work, Life, and Love with Autism Spectrum Disorder. And and in the introduction, Sarah, you say this, none of the nuances of interpersonal communication come naturally to me as they do to people without ASD. Could you explain what you mean? Sure. Um, So there's there's a lot to unpack there, but... I think for me, you know, as someone who is autistic, I, and I didn't know until I was an adult, um, I, I never realized that I was missing certain cues when it came to body language or, you know, tone of voice. Um, I, I was always the last person in the room to get a joke or to understand that someone was being sarcastic. Um, I really didn't understand tactfulness. <laughs> you know, I was pretty blunt with everybody. And and when people were not blunt back, I wasn't getting the messages, you know? Um, So yeah, those were the things that I was, I was missing. And then that translates into a lot of other missed cues when it comes to, you know, if somebody has a a hidden agenda behind what they're trying to accomplish in the workplace, you know, it gets complicated. And I understand that, you know, and you make a, and you really paint this picture very clearly. And, uh, and there's a couple stories in the beginning. That's one of the things I love about your book is the stories that complement what you're talking about. Um, just just to paint these pictures that are just uh, um, so amazing. And it, and, it, and it like, for example, one of the ones I like is where, uh, like you're talking to Larry, who Larry is helping you um, understand or get through. Uh, um, and I want to say it was directions or something like this, but uh, um, but it's it's. Just the situ- just the partnership between the two of you that you you share in the in the book is uh, is pretty cool too. Explaining how how you work together to make it everything else work out. <laughs> I, the first nickname Sarah ever gave me was Lair Lair, based on the Tom Tom navigation system. Ah. I, I had this ability to to talk her through what was going on and. I learned pretty quickly to prepare her for the next bit of direction and help her navigate wherever we were going. So, uh, yeah, you're spot on with that uh, inference there. Nice. I like I like that. That's the Tom Tom. That's pretty had layer layer. That's nice. Um, <laughs> so uh, before I leave the introduction, I want to point out something that you say in the segment. And by the way, I you know, it's. I have like a bazillion questions I'd love to ask you, and you can, you've seen them, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I never actually narrowed them down. So as you see, I'm still in the introduction, right? And I'll be in the introduction for a while if you left me, uh, if you let me to. But uh, before I leave the introduction, I want to point out something that you say in the segment, who is this book for? ASD or no, we started thinking about how the ideas and experiences in this book might be helpful to many people who struggle to understand various aspects of office politics, professional communication, emotional intelligence, long-term relationships, social situations, and all of the rest of our interconnected, interpersonal communicative world. We gotta talk about this because this is, this was one of the things that I thought was so cool about when I started reading from your introduction that I, cause I did not know 
um, what your book was going to be about, aside from the title and the description that I read. And I started reading, and I was like, this is cool. <laughs> so let me stop interrupting. <laughs> So all all of those words, that that very loquacious uh, preamble, it it really does boil down to, I don't know, we're we're all people that have traits and experiences and prejudices and and whatnot. So when we we thought about writing the book, sure, there is the target of helping people who identify as autistic, but there is a larger group of people who just exist and are trying to go through life on a daily basis. I mean, Sarah wasn't diagnosed until you about hit 30. Mm-hmm. So this book is just relevant when you were 29, 28, 27, 26. In mm-hmm. fact, that's where it all comes from. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we really did a lot to keep this as inclusive in the language, inclusive in the descriptions as possible to, to hopefully bring people in and say, you might find a chapter or at least a half of a page that's relevant to you. And that's beautiful. Right. And, you know, so much of the feedback that I've been getting, um, even when I, before we wrote the book, when I was just talking about what we might write about is like people saying, people who were not autistic saying, Oh my gosh, I struggle with that. Or I would like advice on how to do small talk because I hate it, you know? Um, and I feel like there's so many common experiences, which is so something that's so beautiful about, neurodiversity is that, you know, you don't need to have necessarily a label to have some of these traits or some of these um, needs when it comes to communication. And that's what I got to tell, tell you is so awesome about your book is that it's, it really, I mean, more than a sentence or two or a paragraph, you're going to find most of it fits. I mean, if not all of it, I mean, except that we don't have a, 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 a our own, uh, directional uh, <laughs> advisor or something like this. I mean, it's, and it, you know, it's funny because just like you were talking about with a, uh, you know, small talk, we'll pick on that for a second. I mean, I, you know, my, my favorite uh, or least favorite, whichever you want to think of is I was brand new second Lieutenant in the army and uh, had to go to a, a dinner where it's, there's a whole bunch of us brand new second lieutenants, but the big brass are there and all their wives and, and mm. all their spouses, I should say, cause it's um, just mm-hmm. female officers, male. And, mm-hmm. And, uh, and you're supposed to interact, right? And they put us through these classes about how to interact at this thing. Well, most of them don't want anything to do with you. You're a second lieutenant, <laughs> right? So, you know, you feel that awkwardness anyway. So you got to go up and you got to interact so that the, so your commanders see you doing this. And, and I went up to this, this light colonel and, uh, I said, uh, excuse me, he was a bird colonel. And he said, uh, um, we start chit chatting about something that for some reason, old Westerns came up. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I love old Westerns and old movies and you, you, you can have conversations with me about a lot of stuff that, you know, this information is good for nothing. And basically in there, I ended up basically implying that he was extremely old for knowing <laughs> some of this information. And I went, what did I just say to myself? My career is over. Oh my yeah. gosh. You know. And so just as a note, I saw myself reflected in many of <laughs> these parts, but that night kept flying in my head. So sorry about that story there. We yeah, just good stuff. I, in the first chapter, why is communication important? You talk about the different reasons we communicate that isn't just for information. You know, what are the different reasons we communicate? Can you take us there? Yeah. Um, so I, 
I come from the base uh, uh, assumption, which is incorrect, that all communication is about information. That's just what my brain thinks of. Um, if I if I'm communicating, it's because I have information to share or I need to get information. And that's the only reason that I need to communicate. Uh, and that's just not the case. You know, when it comes to humanity and um, the way that we've evolved, we communicate in order to share emotions. We communicate in order to have a common experience. You know, this is like going back to that small talk. Um, so many of the reasons behind this kind of surface level communication that, like you said, has no real value when it comes to the information that's being exchanged is about two people connecting, you know, it doesn't matter what they're talking about. And so that my brain doesn't work quite that way because I don't, um, I don't connect that way. I connect on information or on, you know, delving deep into something like the old Westerns you were just talking about. Um, whereas a lot of other brains can connect on more superficial information, um, which is important, you know. I want to throw in the word kinship. And some of our closest friends, we introduce to our children as aunts and uncles. And it's this passive way to emote these people are going to be there for you. These people are part of your family. And that is both important data, but also very important spiritually and emotionally that, that there's this connection, that there's this trust that is implied, if not explicitly stated. Hmm. And I think, you know, that word kinship came to mind when I was reading this question of, we, we, we just need to know that we're good with each other. That's very cool. Okay, so I got to, you know, one of my favorite sections is where you talk about how to use small talk effectively. Could you shed some light on this? I mean, why did you make sure that you shared this information? And just as a note, you heard, I can put my foot in my mouth. And, you know, I've done it multiple times, but back when I was 22, 23 years old, as that young lieutenant, you know, I thought my career was done after I got... Because as I tried to get out of that conversation, I made it worse every. every oh, well, I was too young to have seen him. Oh, what? The, don't say that. Wait. Anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we made sure to talk about small talk. A because I have always found it very difficult and um, nerve wracking. You know, it's funny. It's supposed to be like a, a stress relief for people, but for me, it's the opposite. It's a it's a huge stress stress to try and do small talk, and because. There's, I feel like I know there's a lot of people who, who are not autistic, who also don't like small talk. Um, my mom being one of them, <laughs> but um, really, you know, what I've learned and what Larry has helped me learn is that there's a purpose behind the small talk. There's a reason that you, it's a good idea to get on the same page with someone emotionally um, before you dive into whatever content it is that you want to um, tackle in the moment. And so what I've learned is to limit it. You know, I do like five minutes max of small talk um, and I have, you know, topics in my back pocket that I can refer back to. So it's a whole process for me. But now I do it when I need to because I understand the purpose behind it. Let me throw in my two cents as, as I want to do throughout the book, right? It's, it's that establishing rapport and we want to have that rapport, that connection with people. That, that was some of the early conversations I'd have with Sarah while we're eating our Chinese food. And she's like, 
do I really have to remember all of these things and have these, do I care about the weather? And (laughs) yes, you have to establish that rapport, but you don't have to go crazy. You don't have to be talking for 30 minutes. You just need the warm, fuzzy feeling and get to know someone's name so that you can remember it the next time you run into them. That that's really the value of it. So get in, do it, but then get out. It's, it's okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love the advice in this because it's, it's, you're so right. You just get in, get their name, get out. That's good. So <laughs> before anything else happens, I like that. That's uh, and you know, and that advice works for everyone. I got to tell you because I, I'm, a, I'm always amazed by people who are so good at small talk. My father was. He could, I mean, he could generate a conversation with uh, a wall. I mean, it's and it and it just. That's I mean, Larry. <laughs> nice, and it's and I. I did not get that gene or whatever that is. You know, it's like, it's so cool to be around people who can have that type of thing. I mean, it definitely, uh, I'm stuck in the eighties in my music. So, you know, there was a, a singer who's still making music, but uh, Rick Springfield who had that uh, song, how do you talk to girls? I mean, that's, a, I mean, it, it should have been just, how do you talk to anybody who you mm. don't really know? You know, it's like, <laughs> so I, that was kind of like my anthem for a long time, <laughs> mm-hmm. but anyway, <laughs> good stuff. So, you know, and Larry, since you've mentioned this, this is a good segue into it, because something that I really like in the book is that throughout it, you have Larry's Two Cents. you got to explain the, the inspiration for Larry's Two Cents, because it works really nicely in the book. Well, when we first thought of the book, we thought that there would be a whole bunch of these instant message blocks, circa 1990s Yahoo instant messenger back and forth. Uh, and for any of you tech geeks out there, ICQ and whatever your number was. Um, as we went through the first round with our editor, they're like, you're not going to have a lot of IM blocks. But there was this value in me representing what I thought about for the subject though we really did want Sarah to be the primary narrator. So rather than trying to intermix my words throughout, which, you know, again, I kind of wanted to be represented somewhere. We just found if I read what the chapter was that Sarah wrote, I could bookend it and say, from my perspective, which has become the the neurotypical perspective, uh, which, you know, I know this is an audio format, but my eyes just rolled a little bit. we found to be really valuable and then just kind of share. And also I was able to share a story or two at the end of each chapter, which again, personalized. And we tried to make this as inclusive, give us people as many carrots to say, does this resonate with you? I, and it works so, so nicely because you, you do have a different, you, know, you have your perspective on what's going on. It's your two cents and, I, and it fits very nicely. So uh, I, I love that. That inspiration works very well. You know, chapter two, communication 201 starts off with a section called understanding and using humor. What's so challenging about the way people use humor? Yeah, I think that's a question for me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I've always been the last person in the room to get a joke. And, um, I, you know, not that like people who are autistic can't be humorous. A lot of autistic people are very funny and, you know, funny on purpose um, uh, and very good with humor. My particular flavor of autism makes humor pretty difficult for me because um, I, first of all, I, I tend to interpret everything literally. So a lot of humor relies on this kind of whimsical 
or even sarcastic um, nature where it doesn't work if you take it literally, you just kind of falls flat. Um, the other thing about humor that evades me often is it's it's attached to a lot of body language, which I've had to um, which I've had to learn how to read manually. So somebody who is like raising their eyebrows or starting to smile or you know gesticulating more is like leading up to a joke, and I didn't used to know that. <laughs> so I always uh, I always had have had trouble with with humor. So Sarah, knock, knock. Who's there? What? What, who? No, it's supposed to be who, what, when, where, why. Come on now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, you know, and it's, it, this, it's, I mean, you really can feel for you in this, in this chapter, in this section of the chapter, especially because, you know, it, people do use it differently. And if you're not, if you're taking it all literally, then, I mean, and then, and if the person doesn't get that, that's, there's a disconnect there. And, I, you know, and I think this is a perfect section for, for teachers to hear, or, or, and or excuse me, and administrators, because, I mean, it's like one of the things when you're talking with kids and the kid doesn't get what you're talking about, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so here's a bit of advice for everybody. Uh, and and I, learned, I, I learned this lesson with my, uh, he was four at the time. We would drive around New York City uh, Ubers or taxis and you know traffic's a little challenging at time so I would be sarcastic the driver would be sarcastic and there's this impressionable four-year-old learning how to be sarcastic and learning <laughs> oh we, we really aren't going slow or you know they're, they're, they're not in the way <laughs> uh, it was a great life lesson I never, never thought about the urban jungle teaching sarcasm but it's been great That's yeah cool. That's awesome. Sorry, I having been in the traffic pretty much that you're talking about, I can only imagine this four year old going. <laughs> something different about this conversation here. They see the world it's a little different. You mentioned um, teachers and administrators because I cannot tell you the number of times that I have been the kid looking like with a blank stare up at a teacher who just tried to make a joke and not getting it um it's not because the joke wasn't funny you know you're funny don't worry like i just didn't get it <laughs> when i think what's what's a great point there by the way is that uh, is recognizing that it might bounce off like that you know because some people might get upset thinking oh come on it was funny I, it, <laughs> let me explain it to you again or how about again you know it's like now you're just getting weird because you keep explaining it to me i don't it's yes Anyway, just a, it's an interesting thought because it, that's what it made me think about. Because when you're, you know, if you're working with children at um, whatever age and uh, um, you're, you're having a conversation and they're not understanding, they're not connecting, some people might think that they're doing it on purpose. Yeah, it's, it's such an important thing to highlight. So I'm glad you did. The, uh, and that's one of the first things I thought about, because I, I don't know if you ever coached uh, little kids in, uh, well, about the age of your, your child um, in soccer. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and there's always, you know, and I've taught kids at all different ages and stuff. So it's, it's an interesting thing. So that's, that's why that came to me. So <laughs> good, good stuff. So thanks for sharing that. I, that, that chapter, everyone has to read it. <laughs> all right. Everybody listening, you, you got to make sure you read that a couple of times. Uh, throughout the book, you make suggestions about the way that someone should approach or handle something. One of my favorites is a segment called High Context versus Low Context in Emails. You say, since a lot of people don't read through every word of every email, 
get your main point right out there in the first full sentence of content, even if it seems a little blunt. Okay, this, I'm, this, you got to talk about this. Could you just explain how this suggestion came about? Well, I'll, I'll borrow from the internet and the, the great acronym TLDR. Too long, didn't read. <laughs> nice. And all of these email newsletters and blogs and blah, blah, blah. You know, they had all this content. And then one day, a few years ago, mysteriously, these four letters appeared at the top to give you the salient point, And hopefully it's a hook for you to go through and read all of the context that you need. So that's kind of where it was born out is just another way of phrasing TLDR. As to the detailed stories, Sarah. Yeah. Well, so I was having an issue at work because I'm a very text-based person. I will read all of an email, every line, I'll read it three times, you know, I'll make sure I got all the content. People don't do that. I didn't realize this until I was having this issue where I was trying to work and I was sending people emails and th there was miscommunication happening and I didn't understand why. And so I brought Larry into the picture, like what's happening? Why is this person not getting it? And he's like, send me the email that you sent to them. And he looked at it for two seconds and was like, this is way too long. Nobody's reading this, um, which is when it, I realized that people don't read emails all the time. Um, so, yeah, it, it came out of if you really need to get some work done, put it right in the front. After you've put some window dressing and you're like, hey, it's a, what a beautiful day. Here's what I need. You know, small, you know keep, keep the small talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, bar, stealing from the book. You know, the, the advice really is write the email that you wanted to say if you were talking to the person and then go back and edit the email to realize that the person's attention span is going to be one fifth on their mobile device reading the content and you'll find some success. It's, it's awesome advice. I, I just uh, because, uh, you know, I often find myself going why did they send me this long email? I, I, I got lost after the third paragraph and decided, okay, I'm done. You know, it's like, um, I, just great. I mean, suggestions and, and, and it gets better. It keeps, you keep building on this. I mean, this is what I love about your book. You just keep building on the, this so practical advice. Uh, could you talk about what executive function in the workplace is and take us through a couple examples? Speaking of which, this is what I mean by you keep getting, you you keep hitting the, the situations just right there. And so talk about executive function in the workplace. What is it? Yeah. So um, first, like a little bit about, so executive functioning is an area um, of autism that a lot of people struggle with. Um, and, you know, what it has to do with is uh, organization skills, but they're usually pretty complex. You know, like there's a lot of, I'm very organized. A lot of autistic people are very organized. We have to be because of our routines and, you know, what kind of work spell. Um, but executive functioning um, can take the form of not really knowing how to prioritize, um, not knowing, you know, what is, how to tell what's more important than something else. You know, for me, my default is to assume that everything is important. So everything gets a hundred percent of my attention and, and that's just not feasible when you get to a certain point uh, in your career, when you get to having, you know, you're dealing with family at the same time. Um, 
So in the workplace, really learning how to, and that's what I go through a lot in the book, um, how Larry helped me learn and I learned how to tell the difference between something that was important, uh, but maybe not as important as something else or something that was urgent but also maybe not as important as something else. So, which is like so weird for me to try and understand how all that works, but it's pretty complicated. <laughs> Did, Larry, do you have something there that you'd like to add to the executive function uh, stuff? Larry's two cents. <laughs> Larry always has two cents. I'm going to start getting some Buffalo nickels, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think contextualizing value. I, I was just uh, actually tweeting mm-hmm. with somebody the other day and they're like, I have my list, my to-do list but I don't know where to start. And I said, well, add another dimension. If cleaning your house is three stars and watching TV is one star, we'll do this three star thing. And then you've earned one or two stars back on the other side. Mm. So I think a lot of the different tricks and tips that we've talked about is just contextualization, yeah. adding a dimension, you know, and we can go on a riff about this autism spectrum, which is not just a spectrum, but it's a multidimensional conversation. There, there's so many different ways of looking at something. So adding those layers until you get to a superstructure that was beneficial, I think was really the tricks that uh, you continue to work on and have to develop even today. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. I mean, it's a, just you think about it, the interactions and the things that aren't as important as others and, and trying to figure out prioritizing that as, as well as the whatever you're trying to do. That's, you know, it's hard to do. <laughs> and, well, and you, you have run the risk, uh, just my, my own story. If you never do the one or two star things, but your, your house is always clean, but you never went grocery shopping. Huh. Uh, so wait, I have to add another rule. And you know, yeah. now Sarah's gonna slap me because I've added four more rules right. to how you do your day list. And I mean, it's such a challenge, but if you work through it and you find the system that works and you start to master or at least marshal your executive function in a way that works, I think that's that's the big win, however you get there. Yeah, I would add, actually, you know, uh, just thinking about our audience uh, at the moment, you know, in terms of like school life, um, that was because when I was going through school, I was undiagnosed and so much executive dysfunctioning happening around, you know, school projects or papers. I was a straight A student, but I would be pulling all nighters to try and get a paper done. Uh, by a deadline because I would be procrastinating because I wouldn't know where to start on what, or I would be researching something for the paper and then go down a rabbit hole of research for hours on something that wasn't even, I wasn't going to write about in the paper, but I found it so, you know, uh, interesting. So um, I think for me, learning how to recognize that there were certain things that had to get done at certain times in order to meet a deadline. And I couldn't just, magically get it all done at once. <laughs> so glad that you shared this in this this book because it's it's so helpful to understand or get at least a picture or a window of what of of this. Boone Titanium Rings found on the web at boonrings.com is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's ca- got these carved pistons and and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut and engraved as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make 
make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You know, in Chapter 3, Workplace Communication, you share a story. I didn't realize how much work-related communication stress was affecting my home life until my husband helped me see it more clearly. Could you talk about what you discovered? Yes, sweetheart. Talk about that. <laughs> um, I think, and I don't think that this is specific to autistic people either. I think that this is something that a lot of people struggle with, um, you know, bringing the work stress home. But for me, it was, uh, it was not work-related stress so much as social stress in the workplace um, that I was bringing home that I didn't realize I was bringing home because I thought that everybody went through these things and everybody felt this the way that I did. And you're just supposed to like, quote unquote, leave it at the door. And I couldn't, I thought I was, but I, I wasn't leaving it at the door. I was holding it inside and I was fatigued and I was preoccupied. And I, instead of focusing on the kids or on Larry, I was replaying in my head all of the social interactions that went wrong, you know, that day in the workplace. This, this is that analogy that we came up with of hit points. And if you wake up every morning, you know, like pretend that for, for the, our student listeners, play, pretend that you're playing a video game. You start with a hundred hit points. Well, you get through your day and you're down to seven hit points. For Sarah, she walks in the door and the first thing she does is thinks about her 10 a.m. conversation. Well, now she's down to six or five hit points and there is no relief. There is no chance to to breathe. So I think we talked a lot about that and you know, not, not to steal too much thunder, but we, that's where we started like the, the work journal versus a home journal and giving you a place to park those thoughts so that you weren't grinding yourself out completely or grinding us out, trying to relax and have a nice evening, mm-hmm. but yet not letting go of these important thoughts. Yeah. And what great ideas here, because that would be, if you're coming back and reliving that, and I, by the way, I love the analogy of the hit points. Um, and for those who are thinking uh, just in terms of video games, we can go a little more old school, even though it's definitely very popular now and things like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like this, where mm-hmm. you know your, your characters, <laughs> Okay, yeah, I need something fast because this is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're replaying all that and you really just focused on that 10 a.m. meeting or whatever it was, um, I can imagine the rest of the family's like, well, hello, <laughs> you can, can join <laughs> yes, us. <laughs> you know, eat, eating your food, you know, eat, 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 mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about something. I'll get back to the food later. Yeah. Just, uh, and, and it does. Even though you know, years are extreme, but your advice is pertinent to all those who come home and they replay the day. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my wife rolled her eyes many a time as I walked through the door <laughs> and she walked away and went the other direction. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that's that passive communication. It was not informational, but it was yet very informed. Very much so, because I learned she's not walking away because she wants me to follow her. (laughs) (laughs) It only takes one time. Hey, yeah, I was talking to you. Yeah. We'll change the subject and then we'll talk. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh Okay. Uh, You know, 
Everyone needs to read chapter four, Navigating Professional Relationships. In this chapter, you talk about meetings and office politics. Could you share a little about what you discovered and why it is important to understand it? Yeah, I think um, for me, meetings, so this is where a lot of um, my strife would come uh, at the in the workplace is in meetings, because that's when you're interacting with a lot of your colleagues. You know, I was always fine sitting at my desk doing my own work. Um, but it, when it came to collaborating or working as part of a team or trying to navigate, you know, uh, situations where maybe you are trying to work on a project with someone who's on a different team who reports to someone else, but they're not doing the work that you need them to do. How do you navigate? Like, do you go to their boss? Do you go to your boss? Do you talk to them? Do you talk to their colleague? You know, there's so many different pieces that could go into um, those relationships in the workplace. And that took a long, I'm still learning all of that, uh, how to do all those things. Um, but it takes a lot of um detective work almost I, I would go to larry with these questions and you know he'd help me kind of parse out okay who's who has this relationship with this person and what is that relationship like and um you know sometimes i would even have to go to someone in the workplace to find out you know someone who i could trust um to find out their opinion uh, you know like some uh, like a mentor um in the workplace so when it comes to meetings, you know, there's a whole section in there um, about meetings and how to handle different types of meetings um, and who's running what meeting. And if you're running a meeting, all these different pieces that go into it. So without chapter four, Sarah would be the best coordinator at whatever job she's at or the best book stack or the best librarian, the, <laughs> the best non-management position that she could have ever achieved because all of the mishigas that goes into building yourself into a manager, into a leader is all of that subtext that goes on in the workplace. And how do you support a meeting? How do you support the agenda of the meeting or change the agenda? If you have a better idea, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of navigation. So with that chapter, with the success, you, you've achieved amazing things, Sarah, before you're, you're 30. And, you know, some of that is luck and some of that is all of this investment into understanding what it is. And, you know, good old Yahoo Instant Messenger sharing with me. Mm-hmm. Which is just the magic of that is cool. They're developing this connection to be able to kind of walk yourself, figure it out and, and, and have some help find a friend or <laughs> phone a friend. That's what I was looking for from a yeah, game phone show. Lair, lair in my pocket. <laughs> I, I, this, I really want to jump in and say the, the relationship we've built has worked really well for you, Sarah. It's worked really well for me, for other people that are listening to this and like, well, my spouse or my significant other, or my parent or whoever it is, maybe they're not going to be the right unlocker to some of these things that I might be challenged with. And that's where finding mentors, finding friends, finding meetup groups, finding whatever it is and being open and saying, I have this thing, it's a dilemma, but I wanna to try to unlock it. Whatever path you go down, it's going to, reap success. I can't promise it's always going to be the pot of gold, 
but it's going to be a lot better than getting stuck wherever you are. Mm -hmm. That said, find where you're, you're happy. You don't have to become the master of meetings. Mm -hmm. You don't have to play the games all the time everywhere. Yeah. But you know, reach, you know, you know, strive for your potential and work with a team and you'll, you'll, you'll be very proud of yourself and the progress you'll make. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, it's, you know, it, and there's all kinds of things you made me think about here. I mean, everything from, you know, so let's talk about a principal for a minute. I'm a former principal and I went to change school environments and, you know, that makes you real popular right off the bat. Mm. <laughs> and and what, what always happens is that in the beginning, there's someone that you're going to meet who really isn't trying to be helpful, but they, they appear to be. Mm. And a lot of times in meetings, they'll derail a meeting. Eh, derail is not the right word. They direct it the direction they want to go instead of really mm -hmm. participating. And there's any number of those types of things that you experience. And if you're not paying attention to it, you know, you think that this person's on, on board and they'll show pretty soon that they're not. And, you know, I've had any number of those, but my favorite thing this made me think about was as a principal, when I was going into a meeting where I thought it might be a little cantankerous, I'd make sure that I had somebody with me who had the permit, had permission to kick me under the table if I started going down the wrong path. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. you know, there's, it was kind of like I had this whole thing like tag team wrestling. It's like, you know, you have permission to kick me. Really? And, I, and the funny, the, the, my all time favorite one was he would never kick me, but he would. Um, he said, can we kind of come up with a code word or something? And, and, and so the code word is what we came up with. Yeah, yeah. He just came up with this code word that was always, it always was something kind of related to whatever was going on for the day. But if he said that word, it's like. Oh, okay. And suddenly he would start talking and I'm like, yes, okay, I, I get it now. <laughs> but the kicking though, if I could ever get somebody to do that, that would really jar me out of the moment. So, mm -hmm. but anyway. I'm sure your wife might uh, want to support. <laughs> yes. Now, for some reason, she's one, I don't think I would ever give the opportunity to kick me. All right. That's <laughs> the, uh, I prefer the uh, stop talking now code word would probably be better there. Um, good, good stuff. I, I, you know, chapter five is titled Long-Term Neurodiverse Relationships. In this chapter, you talk about reading minds and making space for mistakes. Before you answer, could you explain what you mean by neurodiverse? Yeah. So um, neurodiversity, there's a, well, there's a whole neurodiversity movement now happening. But when you're talking about someone who's neurodiverse, um, you're referring to someone whose brain uh, works a little bit differently than what might be considered typical. Um, and this can be, you know, because someone is autistic, it could be dyslexic, they could be ADHD, um, there could be any number of things or combination of things. Um, really, you know, it's a little bit of a misnomer because uh, when you think about it, no two brains are identical. So everyone is neurodiverse and no one is really neurotypical, which is the anti, you know, the opposite of neurodiverse. Yet uh, it doesn't really have a lot of use when you use it that way. So it's it's more useful to when you have someone who maybe has some of these um, these challenges so it's more useful as a term for uh, someone who is autistic or dyslexic or has more of these traits that make them different from the mainstream. I think that you just hit on something, even how you said that title of that chapter. I almost wish I would have done a Larry's two cents for the chapter names because 
that's a big $5 word, neurodiversity, when all we're really trying to say is people of every shape, size, color, and creed. Here's some traits that uh, cobble together that kind of present who you are. And as Sarah said, there are no two people the same, but there are enough shared traits that if they don't match with the mainstream, like that small talk thing, you're labeled or you're identified as someone who's having a challenge. That's yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's a, this is a, this is so powerful right here. And there's any number of things that fit this. And I, so I, you know, I, when you talk about just the understanding how different we can be, and then that there's, you know, something that I want to make sure that I get you to talk about a little bit later before we finish is your blog, but uh, your blog's title, um, you know, whether it's, um, quirkiness or, uh, whatever it is that we, uh, um, are experiencing that we recognize that as we're, we have to figure out how to get along with each other because there's something we liked about each other. And, and I think there's, I, I think that's something that I, it makes me wonder when I read this, this, this section, it made me wonder about, um, people who too quickly get a divorce. Mm. Um, it made me wonder if, you know, if only they had somebody helping them as that mentor along the way to say, you know, it's, it's one thing that the divorce happens for other reasons, but if right. it's just because they grow apart or start annoying one another, it's like, well, you know, I'm like the definition of annoying. So I, <laughs> I, I quote old movies and uh, make goofy sounds and I still love the three stooges and somebody getting hit over the head with a frying pan. But, you know. <laughs> So I think I'm pretty real annoying. I can sing the, the theme song to Gilligan's Island, and mm-hmm. and that's right. And those quirks that you know that represent you, that represent each of us. That's usually what we fall in love with, or what we grow to like as a as a friend. And at some point, for some reason, too often we stop thinking about those things, and they can get muffled or buried. If if you are coming home every day mumbling about your day and you're not able to pause and put that off to the side so that you can spend that quality time with your significant other. I think that that probably is part of that insight of what you're talking about there. So the more that we do learn how we communicate and that we all communicate differently. And if, if we, you start out saying the person across from me is a good person I'm a good person. We want to have a good engagement here. If it's, you know, office coffee or it's, you know, after having your third child, if you can get there and stay there for the most part, I think you're going to be successful. And maybe some of these things in the book will help unlock how people communicate. And that would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Oh, it sure would be. Definitely. And I, you made me, I mean, this, this whole section just made me constantly focus on that, you know, this, those ideas of try and put it back in perspective. I meant well, or we meant well, or I know you meant well and, and seeing where, where that takes you into a different planet. And I I just, I I just, just uh, great advice and great thoughts there. You know, a a trick that we we've learned that I want to share is around compromising and we don't compromise. And that's not to say that I'm a Neanderthal and I always get my way or Sarah always manipulates me. It's this idea that rather than me not getting my first choice and Sarah not getting her first choice. And so we both get down to the second or third choices. Now we're eating Chinese food for the third time in a month. 
it's I really enjoy Thai food. So I'll have Thai food and Sarah's happy I had Thai food. And I'll remember that, gee, I had Thai food twice last week because it was a really bad week. Let's go and have Italian because you would love your Olive Garden. So we really, really evolved this. Let's not compromise, but let's be insightful for each other and find ways that makes each other happy because that brings happiness back to us. And I don't know, I, I think we've lost at least one friendship along the way with somebody who's like, I don't understand when you say you don't compromise. That means that you guys have an inability to communicate. <laughs> and it's like, no, we, we just think something's better out there. Mm-hmm. I love that advice. I think it's cool. I mean, it's like, cause you're right. I mean, it, a lot of times what happens is there's a, a negativity that develops that, the, that one of one or both may not even realize is happening when it seems like one has decided I'm always going to compromise because this is just, I'm not going to fight this battle because there's other things going on that are more important, but they don't realize that there is a negativity developing. So I can see, I understand what you're saying. That makes sense. And it, uh, it would be hard. <laughs> But I, I think that it makes a lot of sense. I think it's good advice. Yeah, one of the things that uh, um, I want to make sure that we talk about as we're getting closer to um, the end here is, could, could you share what you learned most about communicating as a parent? Oh, so many things. And I know you could write like an entire book on just that question. So, <laughs> Well, we're, we're hoping for, for a second book out, out, of, out of this effort. So, Funny you mentioned that one. <laughs> your words to our publisher. Excellent. <laughs> um, I think I think for me, um, you know, parenting was a whole new thing. I mean, it is for anybody, obviously, um, becoming a parent. It, it just your whole life turns upside down. But that was actually the moment when when I became a parent and I also had a career and I had a marriage that uh, that was when I got the diagnosis because it just became too much for me to handle everything all at once uh, without extra support. And um, a lot of it came down to how quickly uh, my, our son changed, especially in the beginning, he's still doing it now. He's five, but in the beginning, you know, with the baby and screaming and mess and, you know, all kinds of things that as an autistic person um, were just overwhelming me completely um, and how quickly he was changing. I think for me, learning how to navigate some of those changes without this, um, without knowing exactly what was going to happen. Like I like a lot of predictability. I like to be able to know what might happen. I like to be able to have different pathways planned out. And that's just impossible when you are dealing with a tiny human, you know, they're, they're going to have their own path and you're just going to have to figure it out. I think that was the biggest thing that I learned uh, communicating as a parent. Routine disruption. Every time we set up a schedule for bedtime and Sarah got it down after the fifth day, well, now he wants two books rather than one book, or he wants to be tucked in with his Nana blanket, or the temperature has changed and now he has to wear different PJs. And every time Sarah's like, my hair, I'm gonna pull it all out because I just had this routine. And he has changed the rules again. And I won't even get you started on eating habits or Mm -hmm. 
playground abilities as they are capable of crawling and then walking and then climbing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, there's just, just so much that happens in life that you don't always necessarily think about. You're not mindfully aware of it, but it's happening. And it's, you know, we say roll with the punches, which is a lot easier for me to say than it is for Sarah to, to roll with. Like yeah. you, you're like, no, I, I wanted to go back to a week ago. Cause that was my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful advice. Cause it is, I mean, you know, Oh, you know, as a parent, you know, it's, there's definitely you, if you got it planned, it's probably not going to happen that way. So, <laughs> which is uh, good stuff. I, you know, one of the things I want to make sure I ask you is as you know, could you share some of the top five, like the top five things that um, helped your neurodiverse family run a little more smoothly? Yeah. Um, so one of the things, you know, you, we talked a little bit about routine and about, you know, uh, predictability, um, having uh, devices that help tools that help with some of that um, predictability really have helped not just um with parenting, but with me as well, like managing my time. So one of the things that we use all the time are um, timers. And this is helpful for any toddler, um, but or any child really, but especially if someone's autistic, having a, a visual timer, a an audio audible timer, something that um, can let a person know that a transition is coming up because transitions are where all of the strife often happens in a family dynamic transitioning away from playtime to eating or bedtime or you know coming home from school uh, so setting a timer for something knowing that uh, the transition is coming up has been really helpful hey alexa set timer five minutes and not only does the five minutes happen but it's an independent five minutes. And by the way, I'm sorry to any listeners that I've set off your device, but well, that was, uh, you'll forgive us, I hope. Uh, it's, it's an independent third party, which is super important. And like we talked earlier about, you know, the close friends being aunts and uncles. Well, that five minutes from the computer is infallible. It's not us cheating. And at least for, for our son, we've seen this with on the playground all the time. And this transcends neurodiverse children, neurotypical children. This is just kids that, that, that safe third party. Another one is manage choices. Do you want to brush your teeth or do you want to take a shower first? Well, you're going to do both. But if you believe that you've informed and controlled what you're doing, then then you have the buy-in and the child has the buy-in. And it's just amazing how powerful that is. So that that's two. Yeah. I mean, uh, another one, you know, in terms of family dynamic for me when it comes to um, uh, having success is, and I think you mentioned it earlier too, Stephen, um, valuing intentions so like i meant well you know there's there's miscommunications that are going to happen and they're probably going to happen more often than than not in a neurodiverse relationship and so understanding that we're both well-intentioned when those miscommunications happen and 
that goes a long way. It doesn't erase the impact, you know, something, if something bad happened out of a good intention, you know, the, the bad thing still happened, but it does soften it a little bit when you know that there were good intentions behind what went on. Yeah. And I want to add this one, and that is remember that you are still individuals and at the end of the day with the going through the parenting and the work and the the stresses of life it's okay to have a little bit of self time and Mm -hmm. that's not selfish i'm going to go take a walk and i might stop at the local pub to have a pint which by the way they did a hundred years ago and it was wonderfully normal um i'm not i'm not coming back belligerent by any means but i'm going to go have a few minutes to calm myself or sarah you have your writing nook or your reading chair mm-hmm. and you you don't have to be sitting with me watching xyz tv show or having a detailed conversation about whatever <clears throat> you need yourself you need you need some time to to reset mm-hmm. just great tips and advice because it works so well with with everybody i mean it's just uh I'm, i love it and it's things that you've figured out that help make you guys work out right that's very, yeah, we're, we're we're doing pretty good i think mm-hmm. we're good. <laughs> very cool the uh it, let's so let's take a look at um do you have any tips that you could give for um autistic you know autistic parents of young kids yeah um so many there i think for me, uh, just to play off of what Larry was just talking about in terms of self-care, um, as an autistic parent of an autistic kid, but also of any kid, um, me being autistic, needing that time to decompress because having a kid is overwhelming in and of itself. Um, but I have a lot of sensory input that happens you know my now he's five and he just talks all the time (laughs) and it's a lot you know even if i'm not really listening it's just a lot of noise that's coming in um and you know having that time to really take a break even if it's 10 minutes of me in my room with the light off in quiet you know just to reset myself and my my senses because i can get very overloaded Um, that's one thing that I would say for autistic parents is to make sure that you build in those self-care moments. And another one, and it does go more implicitly to the autistic children, but it does match for everyone. And it's identify the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown. A tantrum is when you are throwing a fit because you want that doll or that game or whatever that toy is. And you're going to use your emotions manipulatively to get your way. A meltdown is when you are overwhelmed and you just need that sensory break and you are going to cry and throw a fit. And it might be, give me that toy but it's, it's not out of manipulation. It's out of I'm seeking some form of comfort and I am overwhelmed right now and I need a few minutes. And that's, uh, I mean, we're not perfect at this, but I think keeping that in, in our minds has been very, very beneficial with Cyrus of he just is overwhelmed. And you know what? It's okay if we pick him up 
and we leave the store and we don't buy anything because he's overstimulated and we could give him 10 things trying to placate what could have been a tan perceived as a tantrum. He's just going to want 10 more because we're feeding into really his need to man, to self-regulate and to calm down. And I don't know. I, I don't think we talk about that enough in society, the difference between the two, but specifically in the autistic community, that differentiation is gold. Yeah. Like if a child is melting down as opposed to, you know, having a tantrum, there's no willfulness there. Like he's not intending for there to be any outcome from the meltdown. He just can't control it. You know, it's, it's just, it's an, it's a, it's like being in, in front of a dam, you, you know, and water is just gushing at you. You know, you can't, it's not something that you can control. Whereas, uh, you know, a tantrum, uh, which uh, he does also do is, uh, let me see if I can get them to give me that thing by crying some more, you know, and you, it's tough to tell the difference, but if you know the kid well enough, you can tell. Um, and for me also uh, as an autistic person, making sure that I, I can spot the warning signs in myself before I get that far. Cause I have had meltdowns before where it's just, I get overwhelmed and it's too much and that doesn't help anybody, you know? So I need to be able to go and take that break before I get to meltdown stage so that I can refresh and come back um, and, and avoid, you know, an hour of, of silence and, and not being able to move. This, this is so incredibly, uh, just the, it works for not only as a parent, not only as uh, couples, but and, and not only for neurodiversity, but also works for, I mean, I, there's any number of situations with teachers or administrators or just any number of things. And I, I'll give you an example of, you know, as a principal, from time to time, everything's like, you know, you, it's all coming at you from every direction. It's like, you got to be kidding me. And, and my temper can go from zero to 60 you know, just boom. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's something I've had to learn to kind of do something about. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things one day, a, a staff member who, uh, his job was, he's a retired gentleman who, um, we had a golf cart and he would patrol the, the campus to make sure that kids weren't leaving and nobody was coming on that didn't belong on the campus. And, and, uh, I was, he, he's kind of, I think what he did was he saw how, <laughs> and he probably heard the tone in my voice across the walkie talkie <laughs> or whatever. And he said, uh, he said, Hey, I can, I can help you with some of this. I said, you know, just give me a call and we'll walk you around. You know, we'll, you'll ride around with me around campus. We won't talk or anything. Just give you a chance to, and I, I, I discovered that that worked really well when I was about to have those time, those, uh, those meltdowns and, and it would need, you know, cause I'd catch myself snipping at people or, mm -hmm. or, really my brain is having a hard time controlling what my mouth is saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and it's, and it's like, and so I would tell people, if you see me in that golf cart, give me 15 minutes. Don't approach mm -hmm. me in the golf cart because I'm only in there for about 15 minutes, but I put myself in timeout. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Very important. Yes. It's how we deal with our own meltdowns and knowing the difference between, you know, it's, it's sometimes we have our own little tantrums about, mm -hmm. but I want, <laughs> Tough. We were talking about that amazing chapter four and you know, the, the meetings and everything. What I did, and I developed a, a bad habit of drinking a whole bunch of coffee. But by doing so, anytime I was going to say something, I could first have a sip of coffee, 
give myself three to five seconds to be like, is this what I want to say? Is this how I want to drive the conversation? And if you don't drink coffee, you can use tea, you can use water, just be known for it. And uh, you build that self in because we're all human and we all need to self-regulate. If we do it at the beginning, then we don't get to the meltdown stage. Mm -hmm. So find, find those tricks that work for you. Love that advice. Good stuff. I, um, Larry and Sarah, I got to ask you this question. If you had a chance to talk with an audience of teachers and administrators getting ready for the first day of the fall term of 2021, what advice would you give them about communicating with their students? I love that question. I, I, that everybody is unique. And something we've, we've really been able to learn over the last 20, 30 years is some people learn one way, some people learn another way. Uh, look, I, I'll share, I, I was in a meeting a few years ago with a fairly senior person and I didn't take any notes. And I went off and I, I was the project manager and I went off and I did the job. And I got a, a call to speak to my director a day later and they said, you know, this, this person uh, said you were rude in the meeting and you didn't take any notes. And I went, well, I was having a good conversation building that rapport thing and it really wasn't the most complicated meeting in the world. So I, I, I just thought about it. And uh, he's like, well, you know, next time, just scribble, play tic-tac-toe. I don't care. Just put something on the paper. So, you know, the, the advice I would say is judge your the, the students on the merit of what they're trying to accomplish. Help them if they're not reaching the, the goals or what you believe is the potential. But they're individuals and unlocking their potential is 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 a unique challenge and that's that's part of your a big part of your job is to help them get there their way not your way mm. that's great i don't even want to add anything that's perfect <laughs> help them get there their way not your way that's amazing it's great advice it's good stuff it's, uh, thank you that's uh so last chance did you want to add anything no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. I, I, that's great advice. I, I love it. So, uh, you know, Sarah and Larry, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, what would you, where would you send them? Oh, so we do have the website, which is sarahnannery.com, um, which also has the blog. It has information about the book. Um, I'm also pretty active on Instagram. You can find me at Sarah Nannery and you can find Larry at Larry Nannery <laughs> on, I think Twitter is where you are, right? Yeah. I, I ramble on Twitter. That's, that's about the only place. And I, I, I have to plug throughout this whole conversation. I do a lot of the antusense words, but it all comes as a reflection from where Sarah is. And that's why the website is Sarah Nannery and the Instagram and Twitter is Sarah Nannery. You know, you're the inspiration and you're what's driving getting out this information. And I'm just trying to add my two cents. Mm -hmm. Works so well. It's, it really does. It's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's so cool. Well, I'll, I will put those links in the show notes and uh, so that uh, people can find them there and uh, it makes it easy to, to come find you, which is really cool. Uh, last two questions I have for you, just questions I like to ask. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when you want to quit? 
ah, man, I want to quit all the time. (laughs) Um, It's so tough. You know, I think it's tough for everybody, but I think being autistic, you know, life is just hard. Um, Trying to, to exist in a mainstream environment, uh, in any environment really is just, it's like 10 times harder when you're, when I'm, I'm me. And I just think about everything 10 times more and I see 10 times more, more details. Um, I think for me, and this is something that Larry has really helped me learn how to do. I, I have to take a minute and step back and look at the bigger picture. Um, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Why did I ever decide to become a parent? Why, you know, what's the bigger picture behind what's going on in the moment? And that's what really helps me decide to keep going because, um, you know, that's why I'm here. That's what's most important. Give me, I'm, I'm snickering a little bit because I know Sarah's reaction with my answer is going to be fun. It's what's your purpose? It's what we talked about. You have your goals, your objectives, your tasks, right? Mm-hmm. But it's your purpose. So PGOT. And, you know, my purpose is my family. It's now, honestly, sharing some of these ideas and bits of communication that that's that's the purpose and that's what keeps you going even if you miss the goals or the objective change or the tasks really really arduous yeah yeah you have a greater sense that's excellent uh that's and just uh, thank you i mean that's powerful advice what you just said right there to all of everybody I, last question do either of you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life and if so if you got a chance to say thank you, what would you say and who would it be? I'll go first so that Sarah can finish off on this one. Uh, Miss Jill Wessel. She was my fifth and sixth grade teacher, and, and I don't know her married name, and, and I wish I could get these words to her. She she knew I was a little different, um, not really athletic, fairly smart, uh, not necessarily witty back then, but I knew that I wanted to be around people. She she gave me Japanese math, which was the same as English math, except the books were all written in Japanese and I only could look at the arithmetic and figure it out. Nice. And it was such a powerful lesson of cut through. We talked about small talk and everything, but at some point get to what the content is. And, and that lesson has obviously stuck with me for 30 some odd years here. Um, and it's something I plan on doing with, uh, with our children at some point to, to change that perspective. And she gave me that, that lesson and it's, it's a gift that we'll keep giving. Excellent. Um, and I'll keep mine really simple and short because I have so many teachers that I would love to thank. I was, I was a great student. And so I had a lot of, I had a lot of great teachers. Um, (laughs) but, um, if I was going to just thank one, um, I would thank Pam Nichols, who was my eighth grade English teacher. And that was, um, when I decided that I wanted to be an author uh, and now I am an author, so it's really, really, very cool. That is so cool. Very nice. I, I, I you know, Sarah and Larry, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your book. I mean, and, and for talking about it. The book, 
um, is just so amazing. And, you know, it's, once again, to remind everybody of the title, it's What to Say Next, Successful Communication in Work, Life, and Love with Autism Spectrum Disorder. Just the advice in there, it's so many different levels, is so just, not just powerful, it's just, I mean, it's just, anybody reading it is going to, whatever they're, you know, wherever they are, that's, it's going to impact them. I mean, you've put such useful tools and thoughts in that, and it's all come from your world together. And it's just, uh, can't thank you enough. It's an amazing book. And, uh, I think everyone should read it and, uh, I wish you the best in all you do. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time. And thank you for, for doing this type of content for your community. It, it's invaluable to, to sit down and have like a fireside chat and just, open up and you know you you could have mentioned you know how cool john wayne was i know that you really wanted to talk about him specifically right john wayne i remember john wayne (laughs) there's a good one there's one right (laughs) but but thank you so much for the time teaching learning leading k-12 is excited to be a member of voice ed radio voice ed radio your voice is right here teaching learning leading k-12 is a proud member of the education podcast network podcast for educators podcast by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.